Thank you, Chuck. And we're going to hear another song from him after the sermon, so stay posted for that. We have um, two scripture passages tonight, an Old Testament scripture passage and a New Testament scripture passage. So the Old Testament scripture passage is Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Before we read God's word, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, enlighten us that we may know no more of Christ, what he's done for us, and that we may know more of what our salvation means. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. The Lord says to the prophet Jeremiah, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Our New Testament scripture passage is Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. And hopefully, as we read Hebrews chapter 8, you will see uh, pretty clearly the correlation between these two passages. Hebrews chapter 8. The point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain." But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. And it is founded on better promises. For there, if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another one. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. 
I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're also going to be looking at Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 32 and 33. Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 32 and 33. So as you're at home, make sure that you just pay attention to both the questions and the answers as I read these, okay? This is beginning the section on gratitude. We have been delivered from our misery by God's grace alone through Christ and not because we have earned it. Why then must we still do good? Answer, to be sure Christ has redeemed us by his blood, but we do good because Christ by his spirit is also renewing us to be like himself, so that in all our living we may show that we are thankful to God for all he has done for us, and so that he may be praised through us. And we do good so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and so that by our godly living our neighbors may be won over to Christ. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent ways? The answer, by no means. Scripture tells us that no unchaste person, no idolater, no adulterer, thief, no covetous person, no drunkard, slanderer, or robber, or the like is going to inherit the kingdom of God. What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? The answer, two things, the dying away of the old self and the coming to life of the new. What is the dying away of the old self? It is to be genuinely sorry for sin, to hate it more and more, and to run away from it. What is the coming to life of the new self? It is wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a delight to do every kind of good as God wants us to. What do we do that is good? Only that which arises out of true faith conforms to God's law and is done for his glory, and not that which is based on what we think is right or an established human tradition. That's the teaching of the catechism tonight. I want to present to you uh, two different clubs that we can be a part of. And before we get into the discussion about our scripture passage and the catechism tonight, I want to give us these categories to help us understand what exactly it is that's being taught tonight. And there's two different clubs, right? There's the Grateful Club. And there is the Gratitude Club. You might be saying at this point, what exactly is the difference between these two? Well, the Grateful Club has a certain perspective about living the Christian life. And what they mean when they say grateful is that God should be grateful. God 
God should be grateful that I do this and that I do that. God should be grateful that I go to church. God should be grateful that I read my Bible every morning. God should be grateful that I do my prayers every day. God should be grateful about what I'm doing for him. That's the grateful club, right? And the gratitude club says, I'm grateful. For what God has done for me. I'm grateful for what God has done for me. You see the difference here, right? The Grateful Club says, God should be grateful for what I do for Him. Gratitude Club says, I'm grateful for what God has done for me. And these two perspectives, these two clubs, change the entirety of what it means to live the Christian life. I've got an example here that maybe would flesh it out a little bit, right? Uh, George Whitfield writes of a man named John who was a contemporary of the Wesley brothers. The Wesley brothers are those who uh, made the Methodist tradition the Wesleyan tradition, uh, popular. Now listen to what he says about this man, John. This is when John was in the Grateful Club. You want to listen to it? It says this. I began to fast twice a week for 36 hours together. Whitfield wrote in later years, prayed many times a day and received the sacrament every Lord's Day. I fasted myself almost to death all the 40 days of Lent during which I made it a point of duty never to go less than three times a day to public worship, besides seven times a day to my private prayers. Yet I knew no more that I was to be born a new creature in Christ Jesus than if I had never been born at all. Deeply dissatisfied at heart, the reading of a book with the title The Life of God and the Soul of Man by Henry Skugel made plain to him the necessity of personal commitment to and union with Christ as Savior and Lord. Desperately seeking this relationship, he increased his self-affliction to such an extent that his weakness brought him near to death. That's the Grateful Club. I'm doing all these things and God should be grateful of what I'm doing for him. Why don't I feel that salvation? Why don't I feel that love from him, right? But this is what happened when this man, John... Transition from the Grateful Club to the Gratitude Club. Listen to it. At last, however, the grace of God enabled him to trust solely in Christ instead of in his own religious exercises. God was pleased to remove the heavy load, he testified, to enable me to lay hold of his dear son by a living faith and by giving me the spirit of adoption to seal me even to the day of everlasting redemption. His life continued to be one of zeal and self-discipline and was carefully planned from day to day. But from now on, his overruling desire was to proclaim Christ and his grace to the world. You see what he said there, right? He said that outwardly, the way he was living had not changed. You see, in a lot of ways, outwardly, we can't see the difference between the Grateful Club, the perspective that says God should be grateful of what I do for him. 
Why isn't he proud of me? Why isn't he happy with me? Why isn't he shining his face upon me? I'm his dear child and I'm doing all these lovely things. That outwardly, there's not much difference between that person and the person who's in the gratitude club who says, I'm grateful for what God has done for me. Therefore, I'm going to do these things. Therefore, I desire to do these things to give him glory. It's all a matter of motivation. It's all a matter of perspective. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And hopefully by the end of it, we will have a better grasp of what salvation means. And we'll be able to see the ways in our own hearts where we continue to be part of the Grateful Club instead of the Gratitude Club. So our theme tonight is Christ saves us from sin unto good works. From sin unto good works. And there's three points tonight. They're very simple. Why? Why good works are necessary? How? How good works work? And what? What good works are, okay? So that's the three points. Really simple. Why, how, what? And we're going to look at this first point. Why good works are still necessary. That's the first question asked us in the catechism, right? We've just talked about salvation. And this is what we learned. Salvation is by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone, right? In Christ alone. Just like that song we heard. It's all of that. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So if that's the way salvation is, if it's all of God and none of us, then the question is, is brought forward. Why do we still have to do Good. Why do we still have to do good? Why do we still have to live holy lives? Why do we still have to do that? If Christ has forgiven us of all of our sins, if nothing can be held against us anymore, then why is that not a license to sin? That's, that's the real question, right? Why is that not a license to sin? And this is what you need to understand. This is a very natural question. It's a very understandable question. But somebody who asks this question, why do we still have to do good? Why is that not a license to sin? If it's all of grace, it's none of us, all of our sins have been forgiven, then what is keeping me from going out and living however I want to live? Because I can live like hell now because I know I'm assured I'm going to heaven. Somebody who asks that question doesn't understand the nature of salvation. What salvation is. 
the work that Christ has accomplished on our behalf, the work that he is working in us, what is it? And that's what we're looking at tonight. So why are good works necessary? The answer that the catechism gives is, to be sure, Christ has redeemed us by his blood, but we do good because Christ, by his Spirit, as an essential aspect of salvation, is renewing us. Renewing us to be like himself, so that in all our living we may show that we are thankful to God for all he's done for us, and so that he may be praised through us. So what is this work of the Spirit's renewing? If we are talking up until this point about salvation, we would probably use the word justification. But at the catechism, when it turns to the aspect of gratitude, we're now talking about salvation as in sanctification. And then both of these things are not different kinds of salvation. They're like different sides of the same coin, if that makes sense. If that helps you understand. And this is exactly what the New Testament writers tell us about the nature of this new administration of the covenant of grace. It makes this comparison between the Old Testament covenant under the Mosaic law and the new covenant under the administration of the finished and complete work of Jesus Christ. And what it says about the old administration of the covenant is that it was the old administration of the covenant was all a grateful club. Mostly a grateful club. That everyone thought these are the things that you're supposed to do in order to please God. Why isn't God pleased with me? Why isn't God grateful towards me for what I've done for him? And if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and you hear about how the cross is a stumbling block for the Jews, that's exactly what Paul is talking about. The offense of the cross to the Jews, that the Jews did not think they needed the righteousness provided by Jesus Christ because they had a righteousness of their own. Why do they need a, a Savior to die for them if they can do good works that please God sufficiently? That's the offense to them. Because the cross of Jesus Christ to someone who's in the grateful club, who's someone who thinks that they can do enough good things to get God to be grateful, to thankful towards them, is going to be upset because the cross declares to them, you can never do any good works, you can never do anything that is going to satisfy or please God, because you're a sinner. That's the offense to someone who's in the grateful club. That's the offense to someone who doesn't understand the nature of their own sinfulness and the nature of salvation. And so salvation is not simply a justification, being declared righteous. Being declared righteous because all your sins have been forgiven. But it's also a sanctification, a working of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ renewing us to be like himself so that in all our living we may show that we are thankful to God for all he's done for us and may be praised through us. And this is a process. This is something that is continuing throughout our lives and it will never be finished. 
It'll never be completely finished, but it's something that we're going through as we go along in the Christian life, as something we grow in. And that's what Jeremiah 31 is talking about. That the difference between the Old Covenant administration under the Mosaic Law is a, a, a grateful club. One where there's, there's, outward, there's an outward um, attempt to line up to the laws and regulations that God provided, but an inward, uh, no inward transformation. And it's flipped that. It's saying now that the reality is the Spirit has to come in and has to change the inward person, the heart, renew us to be like Christ so that outwardly we can do these things in such a way that pleases God so that we can go from the grateful club to the gratitude club, right? And that's why in Jeremiah 31 and in Hebrews chapter 8, in its quotation of that Old Testament prophecy, it says this about that. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. God has come in Jesus Christ and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit to transform us inwardly. When Jeremiah 31 says, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, what he's saying is the Spirit of Christ is going to renew us. He is going to renew us to be like himself so that in all our living we may show that we are thankful to God for all he's done for us and that may be praised through us. But it also states that we do good so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits. So doing good works is a presentation to us that there is a sanctifying work going on of the Holy Spirit. That the salvation that we have received in Jesus Christ is doing its work. It's accomplishing what God has intended for it to accomplish. And also that by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. Uh, this is a simply a statement that the reality is... Um, those who are outside the church ought to be able to see that Christians live differently than those in the world. And that that living differently is salt, it's light, it's something that attracts those um, who are, uh, are not Christians yet. But question 87 makes a distinction, right? Can those be saved? who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent ways. The response to this is, if this is how salvation works, how do we know if we're saved? And the answer is, no. Scripture tells us that no unchaste person, no idolater, no adulterer, no thief, no covetous person, no drunkard, no slanderer, no robber or the like is going to inherit the kingdom of God. The thing that we need to understand when this says these list of Categories of sinners, right? Unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, covetous person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like. It is not saying that sinners can't be saved because we're all sinners. In fact, the people of Israel were a bunch of sinful people, hard-hearted. And God said to them in that prophecy, 
I will, it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. It is not saying that God does not forgive sinners because in Jeremiah 31 it says, For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. What it's saying, what the catechism is declaring, is that one way to recognize that someone has been saved is that they will turn away from their sinful lifestyle. They will not be okay to be an unchaste person. They will not be okay with being an adulterer or an idolater or a thief or a covetous person. It's not saying that if you've stolen something ever in your life, you can't be saved. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's saying that if you continue in an unrepentant lifestyle of thievery, if you continue in an unrepentant lifestyle of adultery, if you continue in an unrepentant lifestyle of drinking, then you're declaring yourself, you're showing yourself not not to have been justified, not to have been sanctified because you're not being renewed into the image of Christ and living in such a way that shows that you're thankful to God for all you, he's done for you and, and, and showing that you can praise him through your life. And if someone can continue in that lifestyle for so long, they are not being assured of their faith, of their faith by its fruits. There is no fruit. And the salvation that Christ has given to us guarantees fruit, a changed life, a renewed life, a different life. So, let's talk about how good works work then. Point number two, how? How do good works work? Question and answer 88 through 90 tell us about this. What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things, the dying away. Of the old self. Dying away of the old self and the coming to life of the new self. Both of these have a theological term. This is called mortification. And the coming to life is called vivification. To mortify means to kill sin, to kill the old person, to kill the, 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 the flesh that remains in you, uh, the, the, the old way, the old self. There's all kinds of images used in the scriptures to talk about this. They talk about taking off the old self, putting on the new. They talk about taking off the old rugged or the old uh, ragged clothes of the old self and putting on the righteousness of the robe of Christ. They talk about this in so many different ways. But what is being said here is that the way that we show gratitude to God in our lives, the way that we express the true nature of salvation, the way that we grow 
and our ability to do good works for God in, in gratitude to what he's done for us is, is a, a process like this. What is the dying away of the old self? It's to be genuinely sorry for sin, to hate it more and more, and to run away from it. To hate our sin. The question that we constantly have to ask ourselves as Christians, as those who are part of this new covenant, as those who have been uh, given the law in our minds and written on our hearts, who are being renewed by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is working in us. The question we have to constantly ask ourselves is, have we gotten comfortable with our sin? Or do we still hate it? The Spirit within us convicting us, revealing to us new layers of sinfulness, new layers of which we, we realize we need to deal with that. We need, we need Christ to take care of that. Are we hating our sin? Are we putting it to death? Are we always saying we don't want any more of that? We're going to run away from it. We're going to flee from it. And the question we have to ask ourselves often is... Um, not do we sin anymore, because we're, we're going to continue to sin. We're going to continue to struggle with sin. But is, what do we do when we sin? What do we do when we sin? What do we do when we sin? How do we respond when we've fallen into sin, when we messed up again, we did something we knew we shouldn't have, we lied, or we, um, we, we, we just messed up, we know we sinned. How do we respond to that? And the answer of someone who has received the salvation of Jesus Christ, both in justification and sanctification, is that we face the sin. We look it straight in the eye, we realize its reality, and then we bring it to God and we confess it to God and we ask God to give us strength to root it out of our lives. We're never comfortable with it. We never let it in the bed to sleep with it. We never keep it around long. We don't settle with it. We don't get comfortable with it. We don't put sin in a snuggy blanket. We don't let it hang around. We don't like it stopping by for the weekend. We are not comfortable with our sin. We are dying to it. We are dying. The dying away of the old self. Mortification. And Jonathan Owen, or John Owen, he has a book called The Mortification of Sin. and In that book, he has this great line. He says, be putting sin to death. Or, it actually goes like, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That's, that's the attitude the Christian should have towards sin that remains in our life. Never comfortable with it. Never settled with it. But what about vivification? What about the coming to life of the new? The answer is it's a wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a delight to do every kind of good as God wants us to do. So it's not only that we need to be 
uncomfortable with our sin, that we need to be continuously hating our sin. We need to not be comfortable with it. We need to not be uh, uh, sticking around with it. We need to be confessing it to God, revealing it to God, being open with God about it, asking God to help us with it. But it's also that we desire to replace the sinful patterns and attitudes in our lives with those which please God. So coming to life of the new self is really striving... To live a holy life. It's a joy. In God through Christ and a delight to do every kind of good as God wants us to do. Now we call lots of things good in our world. We call pizza good. Or great. We call music good. We call a book we read good. But we need to know for sure what kind of good God wants us to do. So that's why our last point tonight is that question, isn't it? What? What are good works? Question 91 says this clearly. What do we do that is good? First key element to living the Christian life in doing good works unto God. Naturally out of the salvation that we have received in Jesus Christ first key ingredient is true faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. So if we do not have true faith, we can do nothing that pleases God. It doesn't matter if we're in the grateful club and we don't have true faith, all that we do is like filthy rags to God. He will not receive it. Because we do not do it in true faith. Because true faith turns, turns our perspective, it turns our motivation away from self, right? Because that's, that's the Grateful Club, right? The Grateful Club is selfish. It's self-centered. God should be grateful to me for what I do for him. And true faith reorients us to the gratitude club. The gratitude club is humble. It's God-focused. Others-focused. Gratitude Club says, I don't deserve this salvation. Look how gracious God has been to me. I want to live a life that pleases God because God has saved me and I didn't deserve it. And I want to serve other people because of the way that God has served me and his son, Jesus Christ, who came to serve, came to be a servant. So it rises out of true faith, 
A true faith which reorients our heart away from the selfish, self-centered attitude that says God should be grateful to me for what I'm doing for him to the humble, God-focused, others-focused gratitude club that says I am thankful to God for what he's done for me. But it also conforms to God's law. This is what we call the third use of the law. The third use of the law is the gratitude function. That the law is not always there to condemn us of our sin, to show us our need of a Savior and to reveal where we fall short, but it's also there to give us a guide for godly living. And God has told us what pleases Him. And if we desire to please God, then we must look to His law. summarizing the Ten Commandments or the two great commandments, love God and love neighbor. And what we're going to do in the rest of the catechism is, dis- is discuss and talk about and break down God's law so that we can show and provide clarity to what it means to live according to God's law in an expression of gratitude for what he's done for us. But I'll, another orientation is this. It's for his glory. The gratitude club means it's God-focused, right? That it's for God and His glory. The grateful club says it's me-focused. It's all about me. God should be happy with me. God should be happy with what I'm doing. God should be grateful for all the great things that I'm doing for Him. The gratitude club says it's all about God and giving Him the glory. Because I didn't deserve this salvation. It was all of grace. And so I want to give God the glory. Not myself. I don't deserve glory. The glory is for him. And the final caveat is the good that we do cannot be based on what we think is right. So our own thoughts have to submit to the authority Scripture. If we are not bound to what God's Word says concerning good works and what they are, then we will do what people have done all the way down through the ages, and that is invent things that we think are pleasing to God. But we invent them because we want something that is attainable and reachable that we can glorify ourselves. And it cannot be established either by our own thoughts or human tradition. The inventions of men have long been made up to say, if you do these things, you will please God. If you do these things, you will do good works. But they're not in line with the authority of Scripture. So human tradition and our own ideas have to bend their will to the Word of God in accordance with what good works are. So in closing, the thing that I really wanted to stress, the thing that I really wanted us to see is this distinction between the Grateful Club and the Gratitude Club 
and how it hinges on motivation. What is our motivation? If our motivation is to get God's attention, we want him to look at us because of all the wonderful things that we're doing. We want him to to be there for us because uh, how can my life be this hard? Because doesn't he see, doesn't God know that I read my Bible every morning? Doesn't God know that I read my Bible before I even eat breakfast? Doesn't God know that I go to church every Sunday? Doesn't God know that I serve at this place and I do these things? We want him to pay attention to us, to make our life easier. We want him to be grateful for the things that we do for him. That's your motivation. If that's your motivation, then you're in the grateful club. And you don't understand the nature of salvation, that Christ saves us from sin unto good works. And that our good works are not unto saving us from our sins. You've got it backwards. Your thinking is wrong. And I believe all of us, in some capacity or another, think this way at times when we face different issues and circumstances in our lives. And we have to look at it, recognize it, and know it so that we can fight it, right? We can put it to death. We can mortify it. We can put it in that category of dying away of the old self. But if our desire is to recognize the gracious salvation that we've received in Christ Jesus, our Lord, that was completely undeserving, and that in humility we we desire to bring glory to God by living in accordance with His Word, out of true faith, as serving others, then our motivation is in line with the salvation that we've received, we're in the gratitude club. We're doing good works not in order to earn salvation or earn favor from God. We're doing good works out of the salvation that we have received, out of the transformational work that is being done in us by the Spirit of Christ, out of gratitude, thankfulness for what God has done for us. We're not trying to get God's attention. We don't want him to look at us. We're wanting to give God the attention by living in such a way that points to him, that brings him glory, that shows him how thankful we are for what he's done in our lives in Christ Jesus. Christ saves us from our sins unto good works. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the salvation we've received, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to weed out in our heart the places where we are still in the grateful club, seeking to gain your favor by showing you all the things that we're doing for you and how you should be thankful to us. Help us to weed that out of our lives, Lord, and that we may become more and more a thankful people, a people filled with gratitude for the salvation that we've received in Jesus Christ and living out of that bringing you all the glory as we more and more are transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, your Son. May you receive all the praise through us as living sacrifices. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.